Hey there, and welcome to Beer Branding Trends, conversations on building stronger craft beverage brands. Kodo Design has spent more than a decade working with craft food and beverage artisans, helping them to brand or rebrand, reposition, and reimagine what a compelling F&B brand can be. This show captures all of our fieldwork and experience into practical strategies, tips, and tactics to help you build a stronger brand and sell more beer. I'm Isaac Arthur. And I'm Cody Fagg. And this is the Beer Branding Trends Podcast. Hey, Cody, what's up? Not a whole lot, Isaac. How are you doing today, sir? Oh, I like that. I'm doing quite well. And today, we're going to go right into it, man. We are, we're wrapping up our three-part series on finding and hiring a branding partner. And this conversation will focus on the last step in that process. So client onboarding and project kickoff. What can a brewery expect this to look like? what's needed from them, and how can they ensure a great start to their project? Cody, we try to make these episodes somewhat broad so as to not necessarily focus on Kodo's process so that a wider array of breweries can find them useful. But I think that this conversation will actually be easier if we just focus on Kodo's onboarding process versus <laughs> him hawing around and trying to, to make it more generalized. Because we have continually refined this process every single project over the last 12 years. So Let's pick up right where we left off last week. You've worked through the proposal process and you now have a signed contract. Cody, what is our next move? You know how much I hate to him and to haw. <laughs> Both. <laughs> so as soon as we get the go ahead to send the contract over for signing, part of that correspondence will be to send over some homework so we can kind of get a running start and get some momentum before we actually meet and kick the project off. So Usually what that looks like, we're sending two or three pieces of homework, depending on, is it a rebrand? Is it a brewery startup? Is it a packaging project? Is it an identity project? Et cetera, et cetera. So really quickly to just give an overview of what this homework can look like and just kind of list through the types of things that we look for at the beginning of a project. The very first thing and probably the most important thing, particularly for a startup or a rebrand, we send art direction homework. Art direction homework is basically us asking you, hey, Grab everything you can that looks and feels like where you see this project heading. So we're essentially asking you to build a giant mood board of fonts, colors, photographs, uh, different types of images, merchandise, stuff you've seen from anywhere, anywhere and everywhere. It doesn't just have to be beer in order to kind of communicate to us where you guys are trying to head with the overall art direction. Obviously... We will kind of put our own stamp on this as we work through it, but we find this a really good way to get on the same page at the beginning of a project and start to see the opportunities that our clients are seeing up front. Yeah. What expectations do you have on your side that we need to honor throughout this work? Precisely. We've tried to use words in the past, but you can say something like retro, or you can say something like corporate, or you can say something like clean or modern to five different people and all five of those people will picture five different things. So we really like to get just concrete examples gathered together and then talk about those with our clients. So that's kind of the first uh, bit of homework we might give you guys. The second, a competitive set audit. And that sounds fancy. It's not terribly fancy. <laughs> it, it, it is a, it is a very churched up term, isn't it? <laughs> it, it is. It's gussied up for, for certain. To make us sound smarter than we are, yeah. Right. Re essentially what this is, Either your sales guy in the truck who goes out to retail shops, or maybe your distributor has these on file, or maybe your marketing person can just run out to some bottle shops where you're carried. All we really want is pictures of the shelves next to your competitors so that we can see who's on the shelves, what are they trying to do, 
this hopefully keeps us from stepping on anyone's toes in the market in terms of the final product looking too similar. So it's really important for that purpose. But ultimately, this is about optimizing your products and making them stand out as much as we possibly can, given where they're going to sit on the shelf at the point of purchase. Yeah, there are kind of two sides to that. There's a there's a overall market lay of the land, which they're obviously major players in across the country if we're talking about here in the States. But then there's also, like you talked about, Cody, maybe just more for the point of our immediate project. What does everything look like? And it's it's harder and harder to make stuff actually stand out, you know, if you're on shelf next to 275 other breweries. But it is important to look at, so we're not directly making something that looks just like something right next to it on the, on the, the shelf, for sure. Yeah, naturally, you would like to avoid that if possible. Mm-hmm. The third bit of homework that we typically give people, and this is very specific to a rebranding project, meaning you've been around with your branding for X amount of years or however whatever the amount of time is. This one is called brand audit homework. Essentially, what we want here is not just your you know production files for packaging or your logo kind of suite, your sort of save out of logo files, although we do want that stuff, but we want any bit of marketing that the brewery has produced at all ever. This can be things like posters for events. It can be things like sales sheets that you've taken to retail shops and distributors. It can be really simple stuff like merch or coasters and things like that. What we want is the biggest view possible that we can get of what what your brewery has done in the past so that we know, hey, they used to do this. Maybe this is an opportunity or we see this problem kind of happening. What can we do to fix this? Yeah, we've working with folks that are especially like 15, 20, 20 plus years old, generally not uncommon to have gone through some sort of refresh or rebrand in the past as well. So getting that historic strategy documentation, if there was any made is cool. Looking through all the versions of packaging, that's always really fun and and, and can provide a surprising wealth of stuff to kind of pour through as, as we're pulling up and figuring out what this should all look like. So so yeah, that's a that's a great overview, Cody. Thank you for basically our handshake move forward. You you tell us you want to go, we send you homework instantly before we get the contract and everything going. But now Let's talk about the actual kickoff. So in addition to that kickoff homework that we've sent, we are we are onboarding the client. So I'll, I'll kind of zip through this because this isn't that compelling, <laughs> I, I figure. But, you know, we're giving folks access to a Dropbox folder to house all that homework. We're setting up a Slack channel so that we can quickly communicate. We're getting our teams introduced. There's not much else that needs to be said on that front, probably. So let's revisit I don't know if we want to overlap too heavily, but let's revisit the internal team conversation. I bring this up now because at this stage, congruently with the kickoff homework, we're working with our clients to get an itinerary together for whom we're interviewing, when we're interviewing folks, and and when do all of these conversations need to be wrapped up so that we stay on schedule. So we've already covered the executive team on episode five, I believe it was. So that'd be like your founder, CEO, COO, sales and marketing folks, in-house designer CFO, et cetera. That's the team that will be involved in the day-to-day decision-making throughout the process. Obviously these folks are on the list, but beyond that group, Cody, let's talk about some of the other stakeholders that we want to talk to during a kickoff, uh, during a project kickoff. Absolutely. And, And we can, even though we've kind of already mentioned this in other contexts, I do want to drill down into it a little bit further, but since we like to grab different aspects of the business and people who kind of have their responsibilities, kind of they have their fingers in different areas of the business just to represent their perspective whenever we're doing a project like this. And we'll start with sales. 
really important for sales because they're out on the front lines representing the brewery. And a lot of times they are going to see the problems from a better perspective than pretty much anyone else, just because they're out there Mm -hmm. in the trenches trying to figure out how to move your beer. Usually the head of sales is going to be on the executive team, but if not, we would definitely want to talk to that person anyway. And this doesn't have to be a head of sales necessarily either. Can be anyone who's out in the field selling beer or stuff. Can be from different markets, market managers, on-premise managers. Sometimes we'll have people who are solely in charge of like out-of-state sales, for example, and we would want to talk to them. Any kind of national accounts or big retail account managers, those folks will have different perspectives than people who are there at the brewery as well. The titles shift from brewery to brewery, but that's a good overview of sales and kind of the information we would want to grab from them. Yeah, there's there's more hierarchy the the larger the brewery gets, and you want to make sure you're hitting all the relevant stakeholders you can. So you mentioned market managers. If there's an overarching manager, if there's a manager for a specific state, uh, if there are field folks that are even underneath there, all good people and relevant people to talk to. Next group down from sales would be marketing folks. These can be people whose responsibility includes social media. We've had in-house designers work with us in the past. A lot of times these folks are also wearing event coordinator hats for whatever reason, but it's more common <laughs> than you would think. But, Ten hats. Right. Yeah. A, lot of, a lot of times the marketing folks are actually planning events and stuff as well. These folks are probably going to already be represented on the executive team, but sometimes there's either someone down the chain a little bit or someone who's working congruently with whoever's on the executive team. Really important to talk to these people because they've had their hands on shaping the brand and can usually give us some pretty strong insight into what needs to change and what what is good, what needs to stay the same and kind of be reinforced and bolstered. The next group of people we really like to talk to, and, and this, this is kind of a broader group too, because this can be a lot of different positions, but front of house mm-hmm. people. A lot of times this will be a tap room manager. This can also be a server that's been around for the long haul. Every, every brewery seems to have that one server who's been around since the very beginning and who almost has like yeah. a mythical quality there <laughs> in the brewery in terms of everyone knowing who they are. And they've kind of seen everything and they, they've got a really strong perspective on the business. And, and we've had them in the executive teams before, which yeah. is it has been valuable in the past. Yeah, uh, I, it, I actually recommend that if, if that's possible. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. These are kind of like the rocks on the staff that have been around forever that completely get your culture. They eat and sleep and and can do this stuff with their eyes closed. Mm-hmm. The person you'd clone if you could is the one one way we put it. Being that if every single employee could be like this person, that would be great. You can't do that legally yet, but we're working on it. So whether it's a taproom manager or a host or hostess or just a server who's been around forever, great to talk to because they're right there with in direct contact with your customers. A lot of times they can tell us some really great, really useful information. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then kind of wrapping up, uh, and this is like more of a back of house category, but we actually really love to talk to brew staff. This can be the head brewer, brewmaster, any other team leads, uh, a shift brewer. We've talked to packaging managers in the past. Usually they don't have a ton to say, but what they do say is very useful and very helpful and, and very direct. And it's good, it's good to go ahead and coordinate with those folks anyway, because there's going to be an eventual packaging change and you have to coordinate the schedule with them anyhow. So good to get their buy-in and know that that's going to come down the pipe. Yeah, I was going to say the packaging managers can be very important just from a logistical standpoint. If we're if we're shifting over nine different SKUs and it, we're going to try to do it all at once, they need to be involved, maybe not in the executive team, you know, format, but they need to be 
they need to be involved real early on so they can understand what's happening. Precisely. So that covers the internal side of the house. How about the external folks we need to talk to? And, and I say that these are often completed just as a process point here, usually the following week, since it's especially if we're on site, right? It's tough or outright impossible to manage to get so many people in one place at the same time. But external partners, just very quickly, uh, who you got, Cody? External partners, really great to talk to because they'll be super objective. You know, they're nobody's employee. They're in the brewery, so they'll just tell it like it is. They're not afraid to say what they think and what they see, which is super helpful. Not all the weird baggage that <laughs> an owner might have. Right. Yeah. Right. They can kind of give it to you black and white from a third party perspective, and that's super useful. We'll start talking about distributors. And as Isaac mentioned, it can be really tough to get these folks in the same room. For certain projects, we've had the benefit of actually like going to the distributor's headquarters and talking to them there. When that's possible, that's great. But we can also follow up you know, later with phone calls with these folks as well. Seems to work well. With distributors, we can talk kind of like which markets or partners would be best. You know, sometimes talking to one distributor would be better than talking to another or talking to someone a little bit lower down the chain would be better than talking to the big kahuna at the distributor. If you are carried in large chain retail, I would argue even just bottle shops or anywhere around the community, again, depending on your scope and how ambitious you are with the project and and with where you're selling your beer. Another really great touch point here because these folks can kind of see on the front lines how the product is performing in retail and can give us a lot of great insight as far as what needs to change or what's working really well, what people recognize, etc. You might have this person already on the executive team too, if you have an in-house chain salesperson, but if not, it can be a third-party person as well. So someone who works in a bottle shop all the way up to someone who's responsible for filling Costco with your beer. And we finally, we've kind of talked about them already, but any kind of -of out-of-state field reps, field sales, or street team marketing folks are really good to talk to as well. And those don't necessarily need to be in-house. Again, the third-party perspective is super valuable because it's not as biased or as influenced by the dynamics within your brewery. Yeah. And and if this is already sounding maybe overwhelming, a lot of the conversations that we're having, especially in this these last few minutes we've been talking, are phone calls. Uh, we, we don't have to sit down with people that are spread out over five states. It's impossible. It's not necessary. So, But it is good to talk to them. So, okay. That covers the total group that we want to talk to during a project kickoff. Let's briefly discuss remote work versus travel before diving into the actual interview format, best practices and ideas. So, Setting aside the pandemic, I guess, might might make this more helpful. Cody, we've traveled extensively for our brewery work. Some years we've logged hundreds of thousands of air miles. Actually, we were right up until 2020, kind of went off a cliff. You and the team were actually just in Hotlanta last week, <laughs> kicking off a rebrand. So this is maybe becoming a thing again. Hopefully, we'll see what, what the fall brings. But We've also successfully handled several projects completely remote, and I can think of some instances still to this day where we've never actually met a client and and, and had a beer with them one-on-one, even though we've worked with them successfully for years. So when is travel important, and, and when can we skip it and just work remotely? So I will answer the question up front, ignoring COVID, and then add a COVID asterisk at the end. A big one. Travel being super important, I mean... In an ideal world, yes, we would be able to go and quaff the beer and run our hands through the grain back in the brewery and 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 feel your nice the beard of the brewer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Feel the nice epoxy bar top and all that kind of stuff. But 
you know, being honest, it really depends on the scope of the project. And also it depends on how much you have to come and see, right? So if you're a startup brewery and you don't have a tap, tap room, tasting room, you don't even have a physical build out of a brewery yet necessarily, I would say travel is less important mm-hmm. than if you're a brewery who's been around 5, 10, 15 plus years and you have a really established kind of vibe and culture where it actually would be super valuable even just to hang out in the tap room for like an hour and drink a beer and just kind of people watch. So again, it depends on what you're doing. If you're just having us redesign one small line of packaging that's going to primarily go out on retail shelves, we can probably scoot by just with photos of those shelves and kind of a general lay of the land in terms of competition and goals and kind of where we need to move the art direction for the piece and kind of just a overall rundown of what the strategy is, right? But if you're having us come in and redo everything, meaning logo, website, packaging, you want us to design your delivery vehicles and the shirts folks wear in the tap room and, you know, some some sweet fanny packs and things like that, it might make more sense to actually spring to have us come down and see and kind of weigh what the vibe is. Now, COVID asterisk. I was surprised because we could not travel last year, you know, like we usually would. I was surprised how effective forced our hand. Yeah, yeah, we were our hand was forced by yeah, a, a virus. Great. I was surprised by how much we actually could accomplish completely remotely. Meaning we didn't travel for any projects the last like year and a quarter up until recently, and stuff went really well as well. So, do you need to travel? Uh, usually not, but there are certain instances where it's really helpful to have that extra experience and actually go down and check things out. Yeah, if for no other reason, it's great to just grab a beer and, and look someone in the eye. I mean, that that can never be undervalued. But yeah, COVID really made us, I won't say question, but just rethink a lot of the things that we always held to be absolute truths. We have to travel to meet with you and work with you to have a successful project. Just objectively isn't true anymore. So yeah, that's interesting. So let's briefly discuss what an actual in-person itinerary looks like since we're on this topic, and then we'll get to the interview best practices. So Cody, if we're traveling, I'll kind of fast forward here and do some of your work for you. We're generally on the road for two or three days. What does that trip look like? It depends on the project, so it can shift a little bit, but sure. we've got it down to a pretty efficient little, we drop in, do our thing, and fly out. Kind of saves costs and time for everybody involved. Obviously, a trip to Beijing is going to be more involved than a quick flight to Atlanta or Denver, right? Let's just say we're doing a simple, low-stress trip somewhere in the States. Day one, we fly out. We get situated in our lodgings. A lot of times in the evening when we are there, we head over... Our accommodations. Right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, world-class accommodations that we find ourselves in. First day, we like to head over to the brewery and meet the team if they're around. You know, sometimes this is kind of like later to later in the day, earlier in the evening. So depending on who's there, just grab beers and maybe have dinner with them. Maybe go find dinner on our own. It just depends on who's available. It's not really work at this point. We might sneak a few photos of the tap room or, you know, if you have like cooler for carry out beer, we might document that kind of stuff. But for the most part, this first day, we're just kind of hanging out and checking things out. We rest our beautiful heads on our pillows to go ahead to day two. (laughs) And this is generally our big work day. So we will start, you know, 9 a.m. or before and line up interviews with the executive team. And we're going to touch on this here in a minute. But this is the one group that we actually would prefer to have everybody together in one space, if possible, or maybe in clusters. It depends on how it works out. Everybody's schedules are crazy now. I understand. That. Yeah, actually, sorry to, sorry to interrupt. Hold that thought. I want to end on that. That's a good, that's a good point to end on. 
then I will fast forward here and say that after a 90-ish minute conversation with kind of that chief executive team, um, we'll break for lunch. We'd like to go check out those local bottle shops, liquor stores. If there's any chain retail that you're carried in, grocery stores, things like that. We want the time to document some photos and just kind of get a feel for the market and notice you know, what's out there and kind of start to identify some opportunities or some stuff that we should have, should avoid. Kind of killing two birds with one stone there. After that point, we start to knock out individual conversations with folks uh, down the chain from the executive team. So a lot of times, you know, we mentioned this could be a front of house person, could be a brewer, could be a designer marketing person, whoever you have on hand there to kind of knock out the rest of those conversations and get the rest of those perspectives worked into our notes. And generally, we're doing this until the end of what would be typically considered a standard work day, not for a brewer. For us, for like a us boring job. folks, yeah. <laughs> uh, around five or six. Us nerds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. For us kind of lame corporate types. <laughs> uh, so usually by five or six, we're pretty fried. We'll call it a day. Usually we're like hanging out with everyone and grabbing dinner again. That can be kind of fun, especially if you have like a brew pub or whatever. Or, you know, we're always game for like local culinary tips as far as what to check out and what to go see. For so sure. That's what happens. Yeah. And just in case we didn't make it clear earlier when we were talking about the kind of pre-project kickoff all these meetings that you just walked through have been planned ahead of time. So we actually arrive to our, you know, whatever destination and we have a printed out list. The client does as well of from nine to 10, 15 tomorrow, we're talking to this person and it's very, very bulleted. It has to be because we're dropping in. So I just wanted to say that I'm not sure if we made that clear or not when we were talking about the other folks earlier, but where are we from here? I I think that's probably it, right? I mean, that, that would, I, I guess we, wake up the next day and take off. I mean, there's, if, unless there's any other folks to talk to, that's usually it. Yeah. If we're lucky, we get to do a little sightseeing usually doesn't happen, but sometimes we get to, I mean, generally if there's any other little straggling interviews to knock out, we'll follow up with those in the next couple of weeks, either with phone call or just like an online conference, whatever it is. But yeah, that, that's generally what these trips look like. All right. Final point. Uh, I, I rudely interrupted you a minute ago. You mentioned the idea of one-on-one conversations versus kind of those larger group interviews. They both have their place. Cody, how do we think about these? So kind of in our past, we like to have smaller one-on-one conversations with people. This boils down to group dynamics. If you have everybody sitting around a big board table, automatically you're going to have someone who talks more you're probably thinking of someone at your brewery right now that is that person. <laughs> and if you're not, if you're not, you are that person. Probably. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. Look in the mirror. Take a long, hard look at yourself because you're that person. There's nothing wrong with this. This is just how people are. This is just how social groups work. So there's nothing inherently bad about that. But when you're trying to interview people and, and basically take down points of data, you know, whether they're quantitative or qualitative, you want to be able to make sure that someone can say exactly what's on their mind, you know, within a reasonable degree, you know, without being bowled over by the sort of social dynamics of the group and up to and including, hey, that's my boss sitting right there. And I have something that could be interpreted as kind of critical. I don't want to say it in front of him. Yeah. So that's good. You know, we mentioned we like to talk to the executive team together. And I think the reason for this is just to make sure that everyone's kind of on the same page and, and just to get a general feel for the group dynamic as well. But that's kind of how that's kind of how we think about it generally. At the end of this, we'll have a ton of points that we go through because we talk to people individually. We'll be able to kind of notice the patterns that rise out of those. And so that's generally how we like to tackle interviews 
to get what we need to make the project successful. Yeah. And the only thing I'll add is sometimes from a smaller group conversation, let's say with the executive team, we found it valuable to kind of pull one person out and say, Hey, can we talk for 45 minutes next week? I want to, I want to bend your ear about the certain thing you talked about. So we're just in pure research mode at this point, we're trying to get as much input and data as we can get so that we can then pour through that and have a, have a good variety of, of opinions to, to sort through as we start to frame the brand strategies. So I think that's everything, Cody. This has been great. If there's, is that it? I don't think we have anything else to talk about. No, I mean, the only other note I'll say is sometimes we'll say, hey, is it cool if I email you later? If I Because we're, we're going to have a process of going back through our notes when we get home. I don't know about you, but sometimes I write something down and then I look at it later and I'm like, what on earth does that mean? Either because my handwriting's <laughs> bad or because I have a weird way of thinking sometimes. So sometimes it's really nice to be able to follow up, like even just over email with like, hey, can I clarify this? Because I don't know if I quite understand it. But other than that, yeah, that, that sews it up. Yeah, I agree. I think I think we're good to go. Cody, thank you. This has been a riveting conversation and I'll catch up with you next week to discuss uh, maybe maybe another episode that kind of tacks onto this series. I'm still trying to figure that out, but we'll, uh, we'll see you next week. See you, Isaac. Thanks for listening to Beer Branding Trends. If you like what we're doing here, if you find this valuable, please rate and review us over on iTunes and head over to beerbrandingtrends.com to join more than 5,000 subscribers who receive our monthly email newsletter covering strategy, currents, and actionable advice from Kodo Design, a branding firm on the front lines of beer and beverage branding. Take care. We'll catch back up with you soon. Thank you.